0: Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the commodities sector and the people within it. I'm your host, Paul Chapman. Today, in some respects, we're talking about the future of power trading and what the future power trading desk might look like. We're talking about trading around batteries and renewable assets. Our guest is Aaron Lally. Aaron is the managing partner of Vest Energy. Best Energy is a clean tech trading house that uses technology to trade electricity and support renewable energy. Aaron, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. We're talking today about trading power around batteries and how this is part of a much broader trend from say 20 years ago when the volatility in the power markets was out along the curve to now, where it's very much focused on the on the prompt markets, and that's been driven by the introduction of renewables. Can you just before we sort of dig into exactly this, what is I think hopefully by the end of this podcast, people will understand is probably quite a significant trend and a probably the future method of power trading in Europe and elsewhere. Can you just help us understand some of that dynamic, broad brush strokes? You know how power was traded twenty years ago to to kind of what we've seen over the last two decades.
1: Back when I started my career um, as an analyst, started out Bartley's Capital and. Uh, had a relatively large power and gas trading desk. The power traders all be sat there with their Excel spreadsheets and they'll be looking at dark spreads, spark spreads, and working out generation margins and, and looking across the curve and saying, okay, well, there, there's potential for certain, a certain amount of generation to be hitting the market next year, for example. They believe... Uh, that's too much or too little, and then they'd be taking speculative positions on the back of that. That historically has has been how power has been traded in Europe. Over the last few years, though, what we've seen is two things, really. A, a massive growth in the amount of data that's provided on power markets, and also an increase in in liquidity in the shorter term markets, given the rise of renewables, which obviously you can hedge a certain amount of your generation forward, but you're never going to know your exact generation profile until closer to real time. So, what we've seen is kind of the migration from the the Excel Excel spreadsheets where the traders would be sat there furiously refreshing them to try and work out what fuel generation spreads look like, to short term mainly algorithmic trading models, which bring in the large amount of data that is now published in power markets and, and interpret that into into a price view and then execute in a very high-frequency style manner in the shorter-term traded markets. So I think that, that's the key thing, really, and that's the opportunity um, for a lot of players moving forward. How quickly can you internalise into your business model uh, technology trading in power, and as as a result of that which which assets can you can you pick up and hedge or or own and and fully extract the the maximum amount of optionality from?
0: Yeah, so you've got fifteen years ago we you're trading ultimately sort of macro fundamentals around what generation assets could be online or coming online, maybe long term climate predictions or you know how cold the winter's going to be, et cetera to that shift to the prompt markets. Now, the two pillars to that shift to where we end up at talking about trading around batteries are, you've mentioned there, is the rise of algo trading, supported by data and transparency into these markets, and the rise of renewables. We've covered sort of the rise of renewables elsewhere, and you know that's easier to understand. There's probably some heavy lifting to do here. Can you just give us an understanding, as best as possible at a high level, what algo trading is in power? When it started, and kind of what the um, the infrastructure was required to be in place to enable that kind of trading to happen.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think there's, it's important to differentiate, beginning between kind of longer-term trend-following algos and and shorter-term uh, higher-frequency trading algorithms. So what we're looking at on the battery side are the the shorter-term algorithms, but. You also see in the power market curve trading and, and, and trend trading uh, as a result of trend following algorithms as well. So um, the key input for for both models is, is, is data, price data normally, liquidity data, uh, fundamental data. And as we've mentioned, um, in the European power markets, historically, it's been a an OTC traded market, there was an amount going on exchange, but the data availability was quite poor on price and liquidity. It was also fairly poor on the fundamentals side. For some markets, you wouldn't know assets had tripped until the day or the month after. So you wouldn't really know what was going on in the market. And you could make a guess at it given given traded volumes and and price settlement. But there wasn't really that information available to do a, a really thorough, intensive analysis. So what we are seeing now is with the rise of exchange trading, both on the short-term and the and the long-term power traded markets, alongside the the masses of fundamental data now available. We see very powerful models now internalizing that data, and as a result of that, trying to predict price, but also uh, market makes so on that. On, on the algorithmic side, I'd say kind of 2016, 2017 is really when a lot of the the bigger players started to look in depth at at these strategies, but they're still really internalizing them. So the key part, really, and and this comes from a bit of experience I had a couple of years ago when I was leading a a short-term power trader that used a very strong piece of price predictive software in the UK power markets. When we went round to potentially sell the services from the algorithm or even sell the business. We spoke to all the major energy companies operating in in the UK power market. And on the short term side, and it was actually amazing how little technology they were using. And as a result of that, that was the opportunity we thought was available for Vest. So, mm. so yeah, algorithmic trading relatively new. The last three or four years really picked up speed probably over the last 12 to 18 months, though, with the rise of, algorithmic traders uh, in the UK. Obviously, that's been happening for a bit longer in in some of the Nordic countries with the the NIASs and the in-commodities of the world.
0: There's a fundamental reason why this works for renewables that we come on to, but just to set that scene for us. You're talking a velocity of trading that would just be impossible for a human to handle, right?
1: It's a speed of trading, but it's also an internalizing of all the fundamental data. So long gone are the days where you do your your stack analysis of a power market and you say, okay, well, basis availability and what we think demand's gonna look like, we think next March is undervalued. So we'll trade that. I think now what the the actions are just so much quicker. So it's all around, okay, what's happening over the next half hour? How are renewables performing versus expected? Have any plants tripped? how 's demand performing? Are there any changes there's too much data for a human trader to internalize, and if they are able to internalize it themselves, they won't have executed in the timely manner an algorithm would have so it 's a mixture of both the amount of data available, internalizing it, but then actually speed to market and how quickly you attempt to monetize that for you
0: mm. and then the kind of the chicken and the egg scenario of this is that actually what what happened as well was we covered it with Laurent Segelan in a previous um, episode on power trading in Europe, that 2010s, you just saw this through a mixture of government policy and, and so forth, a huge amount of renewable generation coming online, solar, wind, in particular, which had these intermittency issues, but, but are much more variable in terms of outputs. And that really meant that that short-term volatility started to creep into the market as well, which again fits with the algorithmic trading.
1: So I think, yeah, really it has been, um, has been an increase in liquidity in the shorter-term power markets. There's been a tick-up in volatility, but the key part really is Volatility really increased in the UK over last winter. Everyone's now looking at a range of different power markets in in Western Europe and saying, "Okay, well, we're losing this baseload supply. Everyone understands that. We're adding intermittent renewables. Again, a very well-trodden story. Everyone understands that. What is going to fill the gap? And we strongly believe it's going to be flexible generation and, and in particular, batteries, because you're going to need assets that, one, can respond very quickly to to changes in renewable forecasts and and balance the grid, but also provide a range of other grid services that will allow the power grid to remain stable going forward.
0: Yeah. So to drive it home, 20 years ago, short-term volatility was much less because it was much more driven by mechanical events of some sort, whereas now it's just inherent part of the European power supply because of the dominance of renewables.
1: Yes, the volatility might have been might have been there at times when you saw larger plants trip, for example. Just the liquidity wasn't there to trade it. So you wouldn't be able to to monetize that volatility because there was there was no offsetting trade. Whereas now actually renewables are trading very actively and renewable traders are trading very actively in the short term power market. So there's the other side for the trade now, whereas historically yeah. you there, there wouldn't have been.
0: Yeah. So then batteries come along, or starting to come along, we should say, as obviously a solution for that intermittency of renewables. Can you just talk about, I guess, give us some orientation as to how prevalent batteries are at this sort of utility scale, and what the owners of those batteries are attempting to do with them?
1: So the market right now is is still relatively immature. There's about just over a gigawatt of of battery in the UK and and not much more across uh, many western european markets. There's a big build out taking place in the US and and it's widely publicized alongside the recent volatility we've seen in ERCOT. and 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 now actually we're starting to see a few headlines hit hit the wires saying uh, a few big battery owner operators are now deploying uh, hundreds of megawatts if not gigawatts of battery in in, in that location to help prevent the uh, the situation we saw earlier this uh, earlier last winter. Um, so so really, We're still in the first innings of these assets, especially when you look at Western Europe. So at about a gigawatt in the UK, as I said, and and it's one of the, the most evolved markets in Europe, probably the most evolved market in terms of market framework structure and also trading capabilities, as well as installed capacity. Historically, assets have been providing grid service contracts. So They'll be providing frequency services to the grid. They'll be paid a, a set amount to do that, and as long as they perform in line with with their contracts, then the grid operator is happy and the battery gets paid. What we're increasingly seeing, though, as as volatility increases in markets and as these grid service contracts become uh, saturated in terms of volume, so they're megawatt constrained markets. So as soon as there's enough volume in the market, the price moves lower very quickly. Batteries are now moving into the traded market. So if you look over the the last few years um, in Western Europe, volatility events haven't really been there. I guess a lot of people can point to the 2016-17 winter, where we saw um, the French nuke situation. and And as a result, we saw some pretty spiky prices across Europe. But Post that, and and we've also had the piece from the East 2018, but relatively isolated events. There weren't long winters of of volatile peak pricing. What we are starting to see now, and that happened last winter in the UK specifically, and, and across Belgium and a few other Western European countries, very high prices over peak periods as as we saw, low renewable generation and slightly cooler than normal temperatures. So batteries have started stepping into that gap and providing power at times of, of shortage on the grid. I think this is still very much a, a learning process for for both asset owners and, and also the traders of batteries. I think it's right to say not many big commodities traders or oil oil houses or or utilities even really have a good handle on on how to dispatch and trade battery storage, and as a result, there's not a great amount of it filling in the gap currently for these spikes. But as as the spikes become more prevalent, I think um, I think we'll start to see the the experienced traders kind of sit up and and say, okay, we need to have a look at this technology, and we need to start deploying it in our portfolio.
0: Yeah. And I want to move on to that and, and do a, the deep dive on, on how you actually trade around these batteries. But the, the people, the asset owners, as you described them, the people who are installing these batteries are essentially have historically put them in to get paid for grid stability or to manage peak avoidance and intermittency and so forth. Right? They, so their, their sort of financial model is very much a known return over a known period of time. Typical MPV would be the assumption there.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think um as a result of the uncertainty in the regulation in these markets, as well as the potential for batteries having to move into traded markets going forward, we've seen relatively slow uptake from infrastructure funds. It doesn't function the same way as a as a renewable portfolio does with a subsidy. So really I think there's a very big gap and there has been a lack of uh lack of deployment at large scale, which I believe the the commodity traders are gonna step in and change. Yeah.
0: Who are the current asset owners?
1: There are a couple of large asset owners um, in the UK, so we've got a company called Gresham House, we've got another called Gore Street Capital. We also have some of the utilities who, who own Generation, although at a small scale, you've got the likes of EDF, Centrica. So, so there are people from the commodity side who are dipping their toe in the water, but the capacity tends to be majority owned by infrastructure funds to date.
0: Yeah. And here we have the setup, right? So the pieces are coming together in the sense that you've got this volatility at the short term, which there's a great trading opportunity there, even without batteries. But with these batteries, in particular, you suddenly have the option to start providing services to the asset owners, the battery owners. Say, hey, I can give you this price, but let me trade around it, and gives you even more optionality, or whatever the, the right phrase would be in terms of trading. That's what I've just said. There is right before we <laughs> before we move on. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so can you help us understand? This is the bit where I I, I start to struggle. What is the current supply chain setup or value chain setup? with the utilities the aggregators and now kind of the uh, this new what we're going to call a, a new type of electricity trading house which vest typifies
1: exactly so i think i think you can kind of split the two groups pretty pretty well which you have you've got the the aggregators and you've got the utilities so on the aggregator side very strong on the technology for historically have developed the technology to allow battery storage assets and a range of other assets potentially demand response but also battery to dispatch in the grid service markets so the frequency markets done that relatively well they were they were happy to do it because they didn't really need a trading operation and there were limited uh, limited kind of exposure factors on the collateral side so so they developed the technology to actually deploy the batteries to the grid and provide these frequency services. On the other side of it, you've got the utilities who have historically uh, monetized uh, the, the the majority of assets on the power grid, very comfortable on the trading side, un- understand trading risk, understand collateral management, understand trade funds, all this sort of thing. So potentially less strong on the technology side of the actual what is a battery? How should we structure the battery? How do we dispatch it? All all these factors. Although, as I mentioned, um, EDF and Centrica do own their own assets and and have built them. What we see the opportunity as is is sitting sitting in between those those two entities to say, okay, there's a there's a strong belief as. Assets and distributed assets uh, are no longer owned by the utilities, so that there's not a, a direct reason for them to go di- directly to the to the utility desk to hedge. We think there's a requirement for a third-party trader who can provide hedging, trading, and optimization services to battery storage. The companies who have been strong in the the trading space. Are gonna to struggle to internalize the, the technology and, and the quick moving manner of the assets in terms of the regulation. We believe the aggregators are also gonna to struggle to to build out a trading business internally. So just the cost and and I guess kind of the collaterals prohibit that. So as a trader vest, we say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna try and trade these assets in the short-term spot market. So we have technology that allows us to do that. We also will pledge collaterals and be able to trade and, and understand uh, trade margins and the like to, to participate and, and to scale the portfolio. But what we're also saying is we're bringing some some experience, mainly from, from what we've done historically on the banking side, to say, OK, well, we don't have to wait until day ahead to hedge these assets. We can hedge these assets ahead of time and we can structure products because really batteries – Batteries are an option. Um, so we should be able to structure products around that in the same way banks and utilities have done in in gas storage, for example, historically.
0: Yeah, there's the analogy, right? So you're going to these storage owners and saying, yeah, we can provide you this, this hedge. And then you get that the trading opportunity. As you say, it's a familiar bank product in the commodities world. I understand the short term sort of trading opportunity to balance the markets. What about sort of just looking at your notes, the the green power derivatives piece.
1: Exactly, yeah. So right now, we've got a a range of people who are happy to build our assets um, on an equity basis and say, okay, we believe in the increasing volatility argument, we believe we're going to be able to monetize these assets to take advantage of this volatility, and and as a result, we're happy to make the investment day one. What we're not seeing is a high level of, of bank finance in this space, mainly because there are very few ways to hedge revenues forward. So there are certain companies in the space who, who provide a floor pricing mechanism where they say, okay, we'll guarantee you a, a minimum offtake level for, for your battery yeah, and then we have green power derivatives, where we say, okay, we should no longer be be just kind of offering a, a minimum offtake level to to battery owners, and then taking a portion of the upside when we're above that. We should be providing them with the facility to hedge revenues for months, years, or or even the ten-year life of the asset ahead of time. So, we recently transacted a deal with a, a large owner operator in the UK. And, and as a result of that, we said to them, OK, there's optionality in this asset. Let's try and monetize that and help you extract more value from the asset than you would just waiting to the day ahead auction or the balance in markets or, or even the grid service market. So really, I think the key driver of value um, for traders in this market is, is to be able to turn around and say to asset owners, OK, we're not going to be waiting until day ahead. No, no traditional assets have waited until day ahead really to hedge. They've used the forward curve and and option structures to hedge ahead of time. We should be doing the same thing in battery storage, and that's what we're trying to apply at Vest.
0: And I and I get to ask some of my stupid questions now. Why can't you just use the, the existing power markets to provide those hedges? Why does it sort of need a new, new almost market itself to be able to do that?
1: Exactly. So you've got um on the forwards futures side, you've got the the baseload and peak contracts currently. On the option side, you you normally kind of have monthly exercise options for power. They don't fit the requirements of battery storage. So you've got a very fast acting asset that will run for a limited duration. So you're unable to use the peak contract to hedge just because your battery duration might be one, two hours. And in some markets in the U.S., they're looking at four hour duration. Actually, if you, if you use the current market infrastructure, the baseload and peak contracts, you're exposing yourself to a large profile risk. So what we need are a new suite of products which says, okay, you want to hedge for certain hours ahead of time perfect, go ahead and do that. And and actually, there's a requirement on both the buy and the sell side for that. So battery for some hours will obviously be the seller, some the buyer, because it's a, it's a flexible asset that will charge and discharge. But if you look at other players in, in the power markets, you've got the renewable PPA providers, and you've also got suppliers they have profile risk as well so currently they go to the base load and peak load markets and hedge that risk but they're then taking their their hedge versus profile risk into the shorter term markets and trying to reoptimize that we're saying instead of doing that let's use these these products where where you have a, a more granular trading times so of one two up to four hours and, and you're able to hedge your uh, your risk more efficiently both on the the generation side, and also on the supply side.
0: Mm. Okay, thanks for that. So a couple of more pieces. So it's fair to say, whilst this looks like, and we're going to come on to a huge sort of future opportunity, and I think, in, at least in our discussions, you know, you point to this is probably going to be the dominant form of power trading over the next decade. Why is this still, this is still very much in its infancy. Can you give us some idea of kind of scale, penetration, perhaps some of the barriers to entry, why both there, you don't see the penetration of batteries that perhaps you could expect, and also why so few organizations actually have desks that can start to offer these types of services.
1: Yeah, I think the first thing to understand is for a long time, the cost of the technology has been too high versus the potential profitability. So we're hitting that nice intersection now, and I touched on it last last winter in the UK. You're actually now seeing pricing in the in the traded markets, which if asset owners look historically, they... They can say, okay, well, if I had a battery and operated over the last year in the traded market, which is which is kind of seen as the deepest and most liquid market, the trading markets. They would have made a good return historically. That wasn't the case, so no one would have no one would have looked at building out uh, an asset uh, basis purely the traded market. So I think that's the first thing. Volatility's increased to to justify that. I think you've also got a, a limited understanding of, of how the technology works, and and that's both on an asset side and also on a dispatch side. That is slowly changing. And and that's particularly changing as more and more of, of of the traditional aggregators are now selling their dispatch capabilities as software as a service offering, but there is still a, a bit of a grey area for a lot of um, bigger companies in in how how do we how do we build this asset? How do we structure the warranties? How do we ensure that the asset is future proofed and, and and a more competitive. Technology or battery isn't going to turn up in in two years time and eat our lunch and and at the same time what we do have and and you see it in 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 a lot of markets the existing incumbents take a long time to internalise new technology and I guess the the best parallel I can I can pull in is. On the retail supply side in the UK, you've had a large number of, of companies, uh, they were called disruptors and challengers, but now they're obviously just suppliers given their size. Octopus... Bulb, Ovo, and their their whole opportunity came from the fact that um, the residential utilities struggled to internalise technology quickly onto their existing platform. I think the same is happening now on the generation side. As assets become more distributed and and obviously no longer owned by the utilities, the utilities have got a mass of infrastructure, but it's all based around long-term assets, so nukes, coal, gas the integration of these short term assets and especially the short term trading nature of these assets has caused some real problems for that and 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 you can you can see that by a few of the big players going out and buying existing short term traders and and integrating that technology within their existing business model but but our feeling is as 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 assets become more and more dynamic. the The existing players are going to struggle to to want trade these assets, but also internalise the technology that that is required for them.
0: Yeah. Can you, I guess, for me and our our global listeners, you, know, you mentioned Octopus there. How do they fit into their, their aggregators? As I understand it. Have they leveraged technology to push out traditional suppliers?
1: So Octopus on the on the retail supply side they've leveraged technology in a, in a range of different ways first of all uh, they've built out a, a billing system called kraken which reduces the cost significantly of uh, of servicing their customers they also integrated technology instead of having to re- ring up a call center and and wait on the phone for Thirty minutes up to an hour to actually speak to someone. They integrated technology pretty quickly to provide a better service for for their residential customers. So slightly different to what we're looking to do on the generation side, and more specifically the battery side. But what it, what it, what it does show us is that if we can if we can understand this technology and integrate it into our business quickly, these bigger companies have a three, four, five year turning circle, and and there's a lot of market share we can capture in that time.
0: Mm. There's also this, I guess. I'm trying to unpick the understanding that there's technology has opened up this transparency, both driving these onto exchanges, but also the technology around, meaning that they get much more balancing going on, right? Which is enabling Octopus or those types of organizations to get more scalpel-like pricing to their customers.
1: Exactly, yeah. And that opens up an opportunity on the hedging side as well, so historically you would have received a set price for your your power and gas now obviously to touch on the example we made octopus provider a, a very granular price to their to their customers they'll provide them with pricing um based on based on the short-term power markets down to a half hourly settlement i believe so as a result of that they're internalizing risk and other utilities uh or or, or challenger suppliers are, are also internalizing the same risk and and I think the key thing here is volatility. There's there's a lot of people out there with with shape risk in their power books, but up until today uh, the market hasn't been particularly volatile so they haven't been hurt hurt by it over over the last 12 months as volatility has picked up and and again just to reference the the ERCOT, uh, market volatility as well. We are seeing customers and Asset owners as well as uh, suppliers realise, okay, there's a, there's a large amount of volatility inherent in our, in our supply and price. We need to hedge that some way. And, and why not hedge that with a, with a flexible asset? So mm. a battery, whether it's in your own home, whether it's a grid scale battery, we need flexibility. And we're seeing that globally. Which
0: I think is fascinating because that type of detailed pricing also creates more volatility in that demand side management as well right behaviors in the household will change uh, and that's only going to happen more as people start to think about behind the meter storage you know and how they're going to manage their 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 price risk and so forth and it always and again it, it it sort of crystallizes i think that over the next decade the opportunity in power trading around um that just that short, very short term markets is going to be huge. Um, there is one other barrier to entry there as well, or challenge is that it's a kind of a twofold but integrated problem. One is it takes a long time, as I understand it, to probably build up the models and the technology to be able to actually deploy algorithmic trading. And as you put in your notes and our discussions elsewhere, you also need the human skill set to sit above those algorithms to make sure that they're being managed from that level as well. They're not, going, <laughs> they're not going wrong. So there's a time factor in building up the technology and capability to be able to deploy this type of trading. And there's also a human factor in that there aren't that many individuals who, like you, have gone on that transition from being a more traditional power trader to going on that five-year journey, if I look at your career, to understand algorithmic trading in the short-term markets as well.
1: Yeah, so the key aspect to this, I think, is, is exactly what you've said. It's, it's the fact that we have these new assets, there's a limited understanding of how these assets work, how people should build them and structure them. But there's also then a completely different skill set that's required to say, okay, we have the asset on the books now, how do we make the most money out of it we can? And 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 I think that's that's the key thing. It's 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 around to to me. It's around it's around two things. This opportunity predicting price in in the most predicting price in the most granular and accurate way, and also uh, understanding how how the assets work and how how you should be monetizing them. So take the example of of a battery, for example, in the UK. You can use any one of up to 20 revenue streams, and and that's not even discussing the forward trading options that are emerging. As a result of that, you need to be able to predict the price in each market and and then dispatch the asset accordingly. That's one skill set that's required. The other skill set that's required is, okay, well, we we know what price volatility is going to do. How should we be dispatching the asset versus how we think it's going to price later on? What? How many cycles do we have today? How many cycles do we have tomorrow? Next year? How will the battery degrade if we're cycling it in certain markets? There, there's a there's a range of different skills that are required, and I think yeah, it's tough. It's tough right now for many professionals in the space to marry the two. But obviously, as these as these assets become more and more mainstream, that understanding will evolve.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, uh, this is the the multi-million billion-dollar question. I guess is really about. Where do you see this going? If I'm, you know, I'm sat currently as a head of commodities or, a, you know, head of power trading or in a utility, is this something that has to be on the radar right now? This sounds like a bad way of saying this sounds like a big opportunity. Is this localized in the UK? Is this something we're going to see globally? And what scale do you think this will get to? Will this be the dominant form of power trading in 10 years time or even you know, much earlier?
1: I think um, it, it's a big opportunity in the UK right now, one, because the, the price volatility is emerging, but two, there's also the regulatory framework in, in place to, to, to monetize these assets. We're seeing price volatility everywhere. We discussed ERCOT before we discussed other other areas of Western Europe, um, many of your listeners probably probably uh, saw the volatility in Japan as well. We saw it's happening everywhere, and that's as we integrate more and more renewables into the system. There will be periods of time where where the system's stressed due to under supply of renewables high demand and as a result you will have high peak pricing. So the opportunity, the, the, the revenue opportunity is is everywhere. And and what what will have to happen and will obviously happen over time is the regulation will catch up. So the opportunity right now is is great in, in the US and and in the UK as we've discussed because good regulatory frameworks they're evolving everywhere germany france spain italy they're all they're all amending their regulatory frameworks and, and issuing tenders for either standalone storage or or solar plus storage so the opportunity we think for grid scale battery storage will be a portion of the the battery storage story but it'll be something that'll that'll grow exponentially over the next few years if you look at you look at the b and f forecasts you go from from tens of tens of gigawatts to to hundreds or relatively quickly within five to ten years so and that's a global opportunity
0: those organizations that are able to value this short-term volatility accurately value it and accurately trade it that type of power trading is going to be the more dominant form of power trading compared to what we saw you know, big long term long term power traders trading out on the curve that we started off describing at the beginning of the, the episode.
1: Exactly. And I think the opportunity just gets bigger and bigger as we electrify various assets, so EVs, you've got uh, trains, you've got buses, all things that historically may have may have sat in in, in an oil major or, or trader's book. They're now looking at saying, okay, well, if we electrify these assets, how do we get involved there? And these these companies are experts at commodity trading and, and, and price prediction, we know that. Um, it might not it might not just have been in the power market historically so um it's incumbent on on these players and i'm sure there will because they're all very successful companies and have a lot of smart people internally it's on them to start saying okay well this is exactly the same sort of sort of trading we've done historically it might just be technology augmented and the data set might be bigger. So they need to internalize the data set. They need to integrate an element of technology into their business and and then they're running. They understand the, the trading risks and and how to how to trade storage. It's just been a, a different asset historically. So we're currently speaking to a to a range of companies in the space and and actually what they're saying to us is okay, we want to be involved. We want to buy an asset tomorrow. We just don't have the trading infrastructure for it. So that, that's where there's going to be a lag in these businesses. It'll probably take two to three years to get the trading infrastructure set up. But there is real demand on the origination, origination size to get these assets uh, kind of owned and built.
0: Mm. We can sort of wrap this up with uh, you and Vest Energy were recently in the press about um, signing the first virtual virtual battery option. Can you just give us a couple seconds on that?
1: Yeah, exactly. So um global first deal, they've been trying for a period of time to get this type of deal done in Australia, which is also another market um that's integrated battery storage pretty quickly. Uh, a lot of you your listeners probably know the Tesla battery in, in, in Australia. But yeah, what we've done what we've done here is to say, okay, there's optionality in this asset. This optionality shouldn't just be sat there and, and wait to be monetized day ahead. We should we should be looking to extract some of that optionality and and, and sell a sell that on or or internalize that risk and and pay a premium for that so i our belief is this market's going to evolve very similar to the gas storage market we're, as i said we're in the first innings and these are the first types of deals that that are going through but i wouldn't be surprised if in in five years time every utility and and, and commodities trader involved in in the power sector are trading similar sorts of derivatives
0: yeah, I feel very on the edge of my understanding in this episode, but I, I also feel very much like this is a significant trend and, and something that will become very, in its infancy, as we've described, but is going to become sort of, you know, a huge part of, uh, certainly, talent demand, uh, you know, over the next decade. I really appreciate you coming on, Aaron, and, and, and being so patient, walking certainly me through, through
1: it. I think the the key part of it is and and it is the same for many is there's no level of standardization so you'll hear Loads of different anecdotes about battery storage from many different sources, but very few seem to tally up. So, as the skill sets evolve, and as you say, as the talent pool evolves, then uh, alongside standardisation, I think everyone's understanding will, will, will increase a, a large amount over the next couple of years.
0: Perfect. Well, we wish you every success. I'll put a, a link to your organisation um, in the in the show notes, and uh, frankly, I look forward to having you back on in a in a year or so, and we can see how the markets have. Uh, continue to develop right cheers paul thank you for listening if you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show please give us a positive review on apple podcasts or spotify to find out more about hc insider and human capital a search firm dedicated to the commodities sector go to www.hcinsider.global where you'll find more original content on the commodities sector and more details on our offerings as a search firm and our locations around the world. Thanks again for listening.